before the goodness starts flowing, I want to welcome you to the STR Sisterhood, real life stories from real life women in the short-term rental industry. I'm your host, Stacey St. John, ex-corporate girl who discovered how to replace her six-figure salary through short-term rentals and who now has the pleasure of helping others do the same. On this show, we talk to real women in the short-term rental space about their journeys and how they've managed to turn their STR dreams into reality. If you're an ambitious woman who's looking to build a successful short-term rental business, you are in the right place, sister. Welcome to another episode of the STR Sisterhood. This is Stacey St. John, and I am so grateful that we get to spend some time together today. Now, in this episode, I sit down with Avery Carl, and Avery not only talks to us about her best-selling book, Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth, but she also walks us through the evolution of her real estate portfolio and how she balances her day-to-day life with her family as well. So let's go ahead and dive in. So we are here with the one and only Avery Carl. Avery, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It's always good to see you, Stacey. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. So we have so many fun things to talk about in a short amount of time. So let's just dive in. For anyone who may be listening, who hasn't had the opportunity to meet you, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure, sure. So uh, my name's Avery Carl, obviously, and I'm a real estate investor. I have 240 doors and I wrote a book called Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth about investing in short-term rentals. I'm the host of the Short-Term Show podcast and the CEO and founder of The Short-Term Shop, which is a real estate agency nationwide that specializes in helping investors get connected with the best properties in the best markets to invest in short-term rentals. Also the co-founder of The Mortgage Shop, which same thing as short-term shop, but mortgages instead. So on top of that, you have all kinds of spare time to sit around and eat bonbons and lay by the poolside, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, <laughs> lots, of, lots of pool laying around here. <laughs> Tell us, you have an adorable family. You have kiddos and a husband. Talk to us a little bit about your family. Yeah, yeah. So uh, my husband and I have been together 10 years, married eight. We met at, at the dirtiest, sleaziest rock and roll bar in New York City not anywhere you would ever expect to meet your significant other. And if you were looking there to find your significant other, you were looking in the wrong place. So uh, kind of funny. And we've got two kids, Maxwell is my daughter. She's four and our son Nash is two. So we're pretty busy around here. I was going to say, so you're balancing obviously everything you're doing in the working world, but you're also balancing a a young growing family too. So I'll I'll ask you some questions about that maybe, but I want to first dive in and ask about your book because your book is so widely known for being just a staple, a go-to for people. I think, especially when they're starting out in short-term rentals. And I know when I read it, it was so jam-packed full of helpful information. Talk to us a little bit about 
what gave you the inspiration to write that book? I know we've had this conversation in the past, but just for anyone who hasn't heard that story. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the inspiration for it was really just personal experience because, you know, back when we started buying short-term rentals in 2015, there weren't all of these education tools and Facebook groups and courses and even like streamlining tools. There was no property management software. There was no price labs. There was nothing. But we knew that we wanted to invest in real estate. And I can get into that more if you want. But so we we started out with one long-term rental and we didn't really know what we were doing at all. We just thought, oh, we have some extra money. What do we do with this? We actually went to this. I haven't told this story before. We actually went to a financial advisor or just somebody at like, I can't even think of one of the name, like Raymond James or something like that. Because it was in the same building as my office at the time when I had a corporate job. And we were like, man, you know, we've got this like $40,000. What can we do with it? And they basically told us we didn't have enough money for them to work with us. And we were like, <laughs> okay, so I guess we'll just go kill ourselves then. So um, we're like, all right, well, that was embarrassing. And so we said, well, you know, what can we buy? And so we ended up buying a long-term rental first. It was in Nashville, which was really, really growing at the time. And we said, okay, well, we're going to have kids one day. Those kids are going to need to go to college. So maybe this house will have appreciated enough by then that we can just sell it and pay for their college cash out of the appreciation of the house. And we won't have to come out of pocket and we'll be these like geniuses that nobody's ever thought about this before. And which is a totally stupid reason to buy real estate, but we didn't know any better. And luckily it cash flowed about a thousand dollars over the mortgage every month as a long term. And so we said, oh, wait a minute, we need more of these. Like we want to make a business out of this. So then we actually started like listening to podcasts and reading books and things. And we landed on short-term rentals and I'm getting to the book in a very roundabout way, but I'm, I'm still I'm on my way. Just bear with me. Uh, we thought, well, what can we buy? We've only got a little bit of money left for a single family. Like what can we buy that's going to make us the most amount of money, the fastest so that we can go buy more properties. And we landed on short-term rentals. We did not want to do it in Nashville because the regulations there were just too crazy. And we could not afford to make that mistake of buying something and then being told we can't do it. So we said, well, where can we buy something that it's just the normal thing for people to go rent a house like this? So we'd just been on vacation to the Smoky Mountains about three hours east. And we said, oh, well, we stayed in a cabin there. Everybody stays in cabins there. Somebody owns these cabins. Let's do this. So that's kind of how we landed on short-term rentals. So it wasn't like our goal was to own a thousand short-term rentals. Our goal was just to get a big, heavily cash-flowing portfolio. And short-term rentals became the way to get to that like the shortest point from A to B. And so the book was kind of like a roadmap on how to do that because we didn't know what we were doing. I think we're a little more, I would like to say brave, but maybe reckless than, <laughs> than other people. So I wanted to give them a roadmap of like, hey, this is how you do this. This is how you choose a market. This is how you figure out what a property is going to make. And this is how you manage it to kind of make it less daunting for people who want to get into this asset class. Cause it's a really great asset class. It took us from zero to 240 doors in about five and a half years. So and bigger pockets approached me to write it. So I wrote it and then hopefully it's been helpful <laughs> to uh, people getting started in this industry. It absolutely has. And I think one of the things that you just said, I want to I want to have you dive deeper in to, and that was short-term rentals took us from zero to 240 doors. Talk to us a little bit about what you mean by that first, and then I'll ask you a follow-up question. Okay. So the way our portfolio has 
transpired. We went from zero to five short-term rentals. All of them were in the Smoky Mountains at the time over the course of about that first year and a half of just dumping every cent that we made back into buying more real estate. And once we got to those five, we had a good amount of cash flow coming in and we thought, okay, now how can we most effectively spin this? We can go buy a bunch more short terms, which we still continued buying short terms. We've got eight now, but the most recent three were much larger purchases than the beginning five. And so then we just started like grabbing little single family long terms in Chattanooga is where we were buying at the time, because now the short terms were like, you know, the prices were creeping up. It, we could get a long term for half, sometimes a third the price. And that $25,000 down payment just was coming out of our bank account a lot easier than it used to. Like you didn't really notice it as much when you had all this cash flow coming in. So we said, you know, let's buy 10 long terms and just add this to the portfolio and then revisit. So we bought 10 long terms. Then that took, you know, a year or two. And then I think we got to maybe like 30 doors and then COVID happened. And I was like, you know what? Well, good thing we had these long terms because the short terms are about to like the shit's about to hit the fan with the short terms. I knew this was too good to be true. Like I had all these thoughts that said, well, good thing we have these long terms so we can weather whatever storm's about to happen. And then the opposite of what we thought was going to happen is what happened. So the doors got blown off the short terms and we were getting higher prices per night than we'd ever seen, higher occupancy rates. And they were just doing amazing. But we actually... What we had to worry about now was the eviction moratoriums with the long terms because these were low income, like D, C plus level properties. So it was actually the opposite, but that would taught me a really important lesson about having a diverse portfolio. So whichever way the pendulum had swung back then, like if it all came down with the short terms, then we had all these long terms to support it until it got you know back to normal or the opposite if the long terms went down we had the short terms that were doing really well i mean it wasn't that long ago but i've never forgotten that and over time rather than buying a bunch of single family long terms which we still do we we're like well you know what we're having like seven closings in a week sometimes buying these long terms why don't we just buy a 12 unit apartment building and have one closing and not take up all of our time? So, you know, over the course of time, it's progressed into eight short-term rentals. We kind of have our three different pillars working now. So we've got our short-term rental pillar, which we're always kind of watching, not like on the hunt for anything specific right now in terms of short terms, but the most recent one I bought at the end of last year in Cape Sandblast, Florida on the Forgotten Coast. And then we've in another market, we've got our long-term rehab kind of pillar going, which where we buy exactly what it sounds like, single families, rehab them and rent them. And then we have our multifamily pillar going in another market. So we've just got those three machines rolling all the time. And whatever happens to make the most sense for our portfolio at the time is what we will buy. But I don't, don't start like that. Just start with one, one asset class and then move into getting set up across multiple. Now, I think that makes good sense. And I love that you know, you have, as you just mentioned, three different main pillars of your real estate portfolio that it's not that, hey, for every short-term rental, we have to buy five long-term rentals. You're really watching the market too, correct? To see what's going to make sense for us next. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if you focus on only one of them, you might miss something somewhere else. So it, you just kind of have to watch and buy where the deal pops up when the deal pops up. Yeah. Now I want to ask you too, and I'm sure you've been asked this in the past. 
well, why not just have 240 short-term rentals? You know, why do we need to diversify our portfolio? Why should that matter? And if short-term rentals are so great, why not have 200 of those? Talk to us about your philosophy on that. My goal was never to have a thousand short-term rentals or 240 or whatever. My goal was just to have a portfolio that cash flows the number that I want it to. And you don't need a thousand short-term rentals to get yourself to a point of having enough cash flow to make that happen. Because at the end of the day, short-term rentals are definitely a business. They're a system. I don't want to say it's a job because I wouldn't go that far because you can just, you know, sit on the couch in your sweatpants and do it. But after about 10, it becomes a lot to keep up with. And in my, <laughs> I feel a lot older than I am. I'm 34, but I feel like I'm 70. So in my old age, like I want minimal bullshit. I don't want 200 short-term rentals. Because even with long-terms, you still have to kind of manage your managers. So even though we keep, we self-manage all eight of our short-terms and we'll never change that. But with the long-terms, it's more passive and nothing is truly passive. I think a lot of people are like, oh, I want to be a passive. I want to be passive. If you own it personally, and you're not just giving your money to a syndication, nothing is truly passive to where you can just set it and forget it and never look at it again. You do have to, if it's long-term, manage your managers, or if it's short-term, manage your systems. So we just wanted A, a diverse portfolio, different types of real estate. And then B, we feel like eight, maybe to, I mean, I think we could go up to 10, but that's kind of the limit of like how much time I want to spend on it a week. So I think a lot of people are like, yeah, I mean, I want a thousand short-term rentals, but you know, you're running a property management company at that point, which is not the job that I want to have. I love that you're saying that because I think a lot of folks are excited about the opportunities that short-term rentals can bring, but they don't necessarily sit down and think about what they want five years from now, three years from now, one year from now they're in execution mode, right? And this is something that that I talk about a lot. But if you're constantly in execution mode and not thinking about from a strategic standpoint where you're headed, you're just going to be on a maze, right? If you really sit down and think about from a visionary perspective, this is where I want to be. You had a specific, not only revenue number you were looking to hit, but how much time do I want to invest in this? Right. So I love the fact that you had that vision already set in place and you were working towards that vision. It made sense from your time investment standpoint where you wanted to invest a certain number of time where you put that cap of eight to 10. And I can definitely tell you from experience because I currently have a portfolio of 25 short-term rentals that I manage. And I have a team that does the vast majority of everything in the day-to-day, -day, but you're right. I mean, it is very different operating that many short-term rentals versus a handful. So you have to be able to operate at scale. Yeah. And I think another, to your point about getting too caught up in execution mode and not looking to the future three to five years. I think another place that people get tripped up about that is partnerships where they just want to own a bunch of doors right now. They get really caught up in the number of doors they own and they end up in, you know, 10 different partnerships. And the thing about partnerships is the vast majority of them, I would say 98% of them, they're not going to last until you die. And everybody likes to talk about partnerships like going sideways. Even if they don't go sideways, eventually you're just going to get to the point that you don't want to be beholden to another person, that you want your 
your business to be your business and not have anyone else have a say in it. So I think a lot of people when they're getting started need to be careful about that. I just saw this happen recently, so it's fresh on my mind. You're better off getting one smaller property on your own than a larger one with a partner. And I'm not saying nothing against partnerships. I've done them, but you just want to make sure that you're limiting how many you do and that you have an exit strategy to get out of them. So 10 years down the line, you're not like, okay, I've got a hundred different partners and I don't own anything on my own. Now, what do I do? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I actually have a couple of properties with partners and I say, it's kind of like a business marriage. I mean, you have to have the same goals, the same philosophies when it comes to, there are some people who love to invest in their properties and making sure that they are taking the very best care and very proactive in their properties. And then there are some people that are, they want to do just the minimum amount. They don't care about maximizing their revenue, but boy, oh boy, if you're not aligned philosophically with your partners, it can be a nightmare. The other thing that I know for me was really important is to vet my partners and have just real one-on-one -on -one conversations with them as humans. What do they like as people? <laughs> do I like them? Do I like having conversations with them? Because boy, if I don't, and I'm now entering into this quote, business marriage, again, that's going to be miserable. For me personally, I want to have a business that brings in the revenue that I want, but I also want to have a life that I enjoy living. And if I'm always dreading having a conversation with a partner, that's not going to be sustainable long-term. So I think for me personally, it was getting to know them as people and making sure that we aligned again on the business side, but also that they kind of aligned with who I just like. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be that people didn't get along. Like we were in a partnership on two properties with one person and it just got to the point that we had enough of our own money that we were the sweat equity partners on those, that those properties only getting half just wasn't really worth our time anymore. So he bought us out. And so we were like, Hey, you want to buy us out? Sure. So it just kind of becomes like a, well, why I've got enough money on my own now. Why do I have all these partners? Yeah. The other thing that you just said too, which I think is important to point out is you are the sweat equity partners. I think it's really important to have previously defined what the role of each partner will be. So if we have people with all the same skill sets in a partnership that may or may not serve you well, in fact, it is probably not going to serve you well. So I believe you need to either have comparable skill sets or comparable assets that you're bringing to the table, whether they're financial assets or experience or, you know, local knowledge or boots on the ground. So make sure that each partner has their defined role and responsibility would be something that is important to me. Yeah, absolutely. And so the way that ours worked were we, so we were out of debt to income ratio. This was back before DSCR loans existed. And so our friend, he actually owned a bunch of condos in Siesta Key, Florida, and we already owned three cabins in the Smokies. So we both kind of knew what we were doing in terms of management. And he really just kind of wanted to dip his toe in the market, didn't really want to have to deal with sourcing cleaners and, and putting a whole system together. So it worked out really well for us that he just got the loan in his name 
and we did all of the management work and we just split everything 50 50. And then he decided too. it just worked out really well that he just kept buying on his own. Once we kind of showed him what the numbers looked like with what we could make on them. Now he owns like, I think probably 30 cabins now. Uh, so it just worked out great for everybody. That's awesome. I also want to ask you too about operating in different markets, because I know that you have rentals kind of dispersed, but Correct me if I'm wrong, from a short-term rental perspective, your personal preference is to go to regional, drivable, vacation-type destinations. Talk to us a little bit about the reason for that and why you like to hone in on those areas. Sure. So there's a number of reasons. So regional, drivable tourism dependent markets. So examples of that, the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee, Destin, Florida, Myrtle Beach, where you own a bunch. These are areas where millions of tourists every year, millions are coming specifically to go on vacation and specifically to stay in short-term rentals. So these are areas where there's not a lot of hotel presence and it's the normal thing and has been since before Airbnb existed. That's an important part of it. It's been the normal thing for decades for people to come stay in short-term rentals. So, you know, if you want to buy a short-term rental in Nashville, that's great. But up until 10 years ago, all the tourists in Nashville stayed in hotels. Short-term rentals are kind of a new thing. They're kind of a disruptor. So you're having to deal with that friction. You're having to deal with anti-short-term rental regulations, where if you choose a regional drivable market, these areas are dependent on the income from short-term rentals because that tourism is not going to have anywhere to stay if the short-term rentals don't exist. So that's one reason. The other reason is because they're both accessible and affordable, which kind of covers the entire spectrum of things that can go wrong in terms of the economy. So like in 2008, it was a financial crisis. People weren't necessarily getting on a plane and going to Mexico to go to the beach or getting on a plane to go to Jackson Hole to go skiing, but they would still drive to Myrtle Beach if they live on the East Coast or maybe drive to the Smoky Mountains or the Poconos and do a smaller, more affordable vacation than a big vacation. So in a financial downturn, those do a little bit better because they're a little insulated from that big financial burden where then on the other side of the, of the coin, we have COVID, which, I mean, we didn't do what we thought it was going to do, but uh, people were so crazed wanting to get out of their houses and they didn't want to get on planes because they didn't want to get breathed on by people and get sick, but they still did take, stay in control of their own environment, take drive trips, you know, two to 10 hours from home to regional drivable markets. So they're just a little bit insulated from a lot of the outside factors that other types of markets are not. So I like to focus on those for those two main reasons. Now, I'm curious, again, knowing that you have these three different pillars in your real estate portfolio, do you also focus on those types of markets for your multifamily or your long-term rental rehab, or do you have a different set of criteria for those? That's a really great question. And it's an entirely different kind of market that I look for for my long-terms. I like small to medium-sized metropolitan areas. I mean, there's any like limitless number of markets that will work for this, but I like to find places that, you know, all of the, it's not like a buzzword in the investment community. So that's what I like to look for when it comes to long terms. And since you brought it up, I hear a lot lately about people, I don't know what influencer started it. It's always an influencer that starts everything. 
posting content just to post content. We can do a whole other show on that. I, I don't remember who it was, but they said you should not buy a short-term rental if it also cannot work as a long-term rental. So that to me is bad advice. And the reason for that is the only areas that it's going to work as a long-term rental is going to be a metro market. So a lot of the really great areas to buy short-term rentals, like let's use Panama City Beach a few, few miles down the road from me. You couldn't short-term rent anything at all. There are not enough people who live in Panama City full-time to fill all of those short-term rentals as long-term rentals. So you can't. Like you might be able to convert one or two, but you can't convert all the short-term rentals to long-terms in Panama City. So that doesn't work. And by only choosing properties that can work as a long-term, you are kind of creating a self-fulfilling prophecy because you're backing yourself into the type of market that is most likely to regulate short-term rentals out. So it kind of, I think that's really bad advice because it doesn't, it just doesn't work. You're making yourself have to invest in a market where they may or may not want you there, like Nashville. Whereas if you buy in somewhere like Panama City, there are millions of people who come there every year. There's always going to be short-term rentals. They're really dependent on short-term rentals. So to pass over a market like that because you can't turn it into a long-term, I think is bad advice. Yeah. And I love that you're pointing that out. And again, it just shines light on the fact that there are there are different strategies for different asset classes. And when we try to overlap or blend them, it muddy, muddies the waters. And it also, I think, provides input and advice for people that can be very confusing. Yeah. Well, and, and two, if you're buying property that you're having to say, okay, well, if it doesn't work for this, I can do it as this. Like if I'm buying a 20 unit apartment building, I'm not saying, okay, well, if the long-term numbers don't end up working out, then I'll convert everything to short-term. That's dumb. Like you need to take a good hard look at what you're buying and what market you're buying in. If you're having to analyze it as separate asset classes to see if it will work, because you shouldn't be you shouldn't be crossing asset classes. Once you, you can't mix everything up like that, you need to keep everything separate. Awesome. Okay. With that, I want to move in to what I like to call the lightning round. So Avery, I am going to ask you to answer with the very first thing that comes to mind. First question is, what is your favorite place to vacation? Mm, Wyoming. Ooh, I didn't expect that. What do we like to do in Wyoming? just hang out. So I live now in the place that was my favorite place to vacation, which is why I was like, wait a minute. So we would really like to way down the line, maybe sooner than later, have some ranch land in Wyoming. It is very beautiful. It depends if you're on the Western side of the state, which is where like Jackson Hole and everything is, but we really like some other areas. It's just nice and quiet. There's not a lot of people. And we take a motorhome trip with the kids through Wyoming and Montana and back every year or two years, you know, they're not that old. It's been that many, but, uh, so we'll be on our third this year, but we always have a really great time as a family in Wyoming. Amazing. And what is one place you've never been that you want to visit? You know, I've never been to Zion national park and you kind of brought this up at a time. I just started planning our June trip for the motorhome, and I've kept trying to get Zion into the mix and it hasn't worked the past two years. So we're making it work this year. There you go. I love that. It is beautiful. I've been there. All right. What is one thing you know now that you wished you knew when you were starting out in short-term rentals? 
Oh, I wish I would have known what 2020 and 2021 were going to do to prices so that <laughs> I might have picked up a few more faster if I'd known that. Because there, there have been a few times that we were super conservative. And at the time, with the information that we had at the time, it was the right decision. But now I'm like, God, there's one condo in Destin that we had under contract. It was a two bedroom for $142,000. And it is a $700,000 condo now. And I'm just like, there, there's a few of those that, that still pain me. But we did the best with the information we had at the time. Yep. All right. What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Hmm. I would say don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. So don't pass up what can be good deals because you're waiting for a perfect unicorn deal to, you know, rain down and blow sparkles on you. I love that. That's a good one. And last but not least, what's one thing and or person that you're grateful for today? My husband, we are very much a team and not just a team in real estate investing, but in life. And somehow with the real estate investing thing though, which has become a huge part of our life, there was never a, someone wanted to do it. And the other one had to be convinced. We've just always kind of miraculously been on the same page about it. And we've never had to like convince the other one that it's time to do something. We've always been, been really good about being on the same page about that. So I'm going to say my husband. I love that. Now I'm curious, do you find, cause I find myself doing this with my husband, but real estate investing is often the topic of conversation at dinner or just out running errands, having couple time, but we often end up talking about real estate. Do you find that in your household as well? Or do you try to set defined parameters to talk business versus just have family time? We try to, it doesn't always work, especially because you run a big, a big Facebook community too. So, you know, there's, and we have, you know, on the, on the sales side, we've got a lot of clients and, you know, real estate is continual fires to be put out. And it's always, we'll set out to do something like go to the zoo. And then I end up having to like get into an argument with another real estate agent on the phone or something and step away. And it's, or, you know, we haven't seen each other all day because I work outside the house and his office is inside the house and we won't have had the chance to even talk about any business stuff. And then we're at the dinner table and somebody's had a bad day and the other one's like, Oh, Hey, you know, that one thing that we need to handle. And, and it, it's tough to keep it separate. Cause there's so many times where it's either me or him. That's like, Oh, I really, can you stop talking about that right now? <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I'm curious for your kiddos. I'm sure they're a little young at this point, but do you envision them somehow, some way joining in this family business? Or do you think they'll do go off and do their own thing? They're certainly welcome if they want to, but the entire reason that we've kind of set up this business is to give them the opportunity to do what they want to do and chase their dreams. So, you know, they're more than welcome if they want to get into this circus, but if they want to do something else, then we, you know, we're here for it. I love it. I love it. All right. So before we wrap up, if folks want to get in touch with you or find out more about the short-term shop or your book or anything else, where is the best place for them to find you online? Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to buy a short-term rental using one of our agents in any of our 15 markets, the best place to go is the shorttermshop.com. There's a button right up front that says get connected. We'll connect you with an agent there. Or if you just want to follow us on social media, it's at the short-term shop across the board. 
Avery, thank you as always for being so great to talk to and can't wait to see what you do next. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. Always a pleasure. Okay, sister, are you ready to start making your short-term rental dreams a reality, but feeling lost, stuck, or just overwhelmed? Here's what I know for sure. You deserve everything you're dreaming of and you deserve to get it with ease, support, and joy. So here's what I'd like you to do. Go to stacystjohn.com slash strwebinar and watch my free masterclass where you will get the scoop on how to leave your W-2 and start building your dream life with five simple steps. If you're ready to have more time to spend with friends and family doing the things you love, adding a ton of zeros to your bank balance and start living your short-term rental dream, you need to watch this masterclass. Head over to stacystjohn.com slash strwebinar right now to start watching. That's stacystjohn.com slash strwebinar, and I will see you there.